Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And we have an early contender for worst bet of the football season, John. <laughs> ESPN's David Purdom reported on a $100 wager at BetMGM for the Kansas City Chiefs to have the fewest wins during the NFL regular season. It pays 500 to 1, but... Seriously, how many starters would the Chiefs have to lose to injury to win fewer games than the Texans, the Lions, the Jets, and all the rest of the presumed lousy teams in the league? I say all of them. Kansas City would need to lose 22 starters to injury to finish with the fewest wins. Uh, John, can you think of a worse bet than this? What odds would you need to put a dollar on this? Uh, Maybe 5,000 to one instead of 500 to one? And do you think this was a sincere wager or... Would it have to have been a drunken dare type situation? Well, I want to know, Eric, do you get chopped to say the Chiefs, Jets, and Texans all only win three <laughs> three games? And that would really sting if you only get a third of your uh, your fortune for for matching the Jets and the Texans. That would be brutal. But uh, right. yeah, I would say alcohol or some other mind altering substance probably had to be involved. Uh, unless it's one of these ways where you set a hundred dollar bill on fire to tick off your soon to be ex or something. That can mm. happen too. Um, now that said, I, I do think this this team, the Chiefs, has a chance to have a very disappointing season. I looked this up, and on the one hand, I'm shocked that uh, Andy Reid is only 63 years old. On the other hand, let me delicately say that well, you know, his odds of skating through the season unscathed is not a certainty, so that could be a factor. Uh, also, Patrick Mahomes has led the absolute charmed life. Sure, he lost the Super Bowl, but it was a Tom Brady, so you know that's not bad. And, He's a little bit of a charming whiner on the field to refs, which is a rare combination. So what if a couple of teammates get hurt? Uh, Not 22, but not 21, but, uh, you know, (laughs) some. They lose three straight, and the fawning Casey Press decides that maybe Mahomes is not perfect after all. Mm. One of the wagering options the casual fans are starting to notice is that you could bet the over-under total uh, of wins on uh, of your choice on a number of apps. So you might get a nice uh, number betting the Chiefs, say, at, three fewer wins than expected. I think that could play in, but yeah, fewest in the league. No, not so much. Yeah. That's what, that's where I'm with you is the, the three fewer than expected. The idea of like the disaster of a chief season that you yeah. say is possible. That yeah. means they go like eight and nine. That would be yeah, exactly. disaster for them, <laughs> which is not going to be the fewest wins in the league. Uh, look, if, if someone wants to donate a hundred dollars, I can think of a whole bunch of worthy charities who, yeah. you know, n- nothing against bet MGM, but uh, you know, come on, yeah. find a better place for that hundred bucks. <laughs> um, and that's all I have to say about that. Let me abruptly change the subject. Happy birthday to my co-host, John. Uh, this is this is a real man celebrating a milestone birthday and working and podcasting on said birthday. Um, I, I just want to say, John, you like to note you were born the same year as the Wire Act. Uh, well, you're going stronger than the Wire Act at the moment. Uh, so here's to a great birthday, to many more birthdays, and uh, to the Department of Justice, hopefully leaving you alone. 
Yeah, I'm starting to regret calling the Wire Act antiquated in the many stories I've written. <laughs> I'm kind of feeling it uh, these days. Oh, that's a good, now now you've inspired me that uh, from now on when I introduce you at the top of the podcast, it's not Pulitzer Prize <laughs> finalist, it's my co-host, antiquated John Brennan. Yeah, that's, that's like a good rapper name, isn't it? <laughs> Ooh, that could be. All right. <laughs> I don't know that a career change into uh, rap or hip hop is in the cards for you, but uh, mm, you enough. never know. <laughs> All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 156 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 155 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. And it's John's birthday, damn it. So shame on you if you don't take 30 seconds out of your day to give him the gift of a five-star rating and a glowing review. Pause the podcast right now and do that. Yeah, and coming up a little later on the show, Eric, we're going to be joined by Sean Newsom. He runs a specialist sports desk at uh, Roto Grinders. Uh, it includes college football, and that's what we'll be discussing uh, with him. Believe it or not, it's coming soon. Uh, we're going to ask about the best value play for the national title, how the Big Ten, featuring his alma mater, Penn State, is likely to shake out, and how to handle COVID situations as a better and a DFS player. The first has been a too busy week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Let's start the news segment this week with something kind of fun, kind of unusual, certainly controversial. It's a story our colleague Jeff Edelstein was first to write about. I can't say he broke the news since really Twitter detectives broke the news, but he wrote the first story about the DraftKings marketplace debacle with the release on Friday of a series of Tom Brady NFTs. You don't even need to understand what an NFT is to get the gist of this story. Just think of this as an online lottery to buy numbered limited edition collectibles, collectibles that go up in value pretty much immediately. So anything you buy can instantly be sold at a profit. DraftKings recently started selling its own NFTs, making the story more appropriate for a gambling industry podcast than if it had been a Top Shot release or something. So on Friday, DraftKings released five sets of Tom Brady NFTs. The sets were small, 12 of one, 25 of another, 50 of another, and two sets of 100. There were more than 20,000 people logging on to buy each of these. And one customer with the screen name Sweet Baby Nico managed to snag one of each. He or she spent $3,250 to buy all five and sold them for more than $76,000 in total. And various other people managed to buy two, three, or four of the five, while the vast majority of people trying got zero. Was the fix in, or did some sort of bot software beat the DraftKings system? Uh, DraftKings issued a statement on Monday, but it was vague, and they didn't explain what happened. They just said they'd try to do better and not allow anyone to multi-enter any of the queues. So, John, to the extent that you understand this, do you think there's <laughs> any reason to suspect anything nefarious? And here's a question for you as a notoriously reluctant gambler. Would you be willing to spend $1,500 to purchase something digital like this if everyone in the know assured you that you could sell it for about 20 times as much immediately after buying it? Well, you know, Eric, you lost me at an online lottery to buy numbered limited edition collectibles. There's nothing real here. Uh, you know, I will say there is no escaping the NFT nightmare. I was in Saratoga Springs uh, race course uh, this week on Monday and Tuesday, and they have real horses there, of course. But on one of the panels, uh, uh, several of the uh, 
guests told me that uh, NFT enthusiasts, if that's the word, uh, they're paying six or was it seven figures for virtual racehorses that they have to spend money on virtual food to virtually feed them so they can virtually compete. I mean, you know, as my mom would say, literally, sometimes, John, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> I don't know what a handbasket is, but I kind of understand now. Um, and fifteen hundred dollars on a fake product, um, being assured that things will be fine and will never compute for the few of us left who uh, have parents who scraped and survived the Great Depression. I mean, there are no guarantees in life. They know it. I know it. Not in the real world, not in the virtual one. What could go wrong with NFTs? A lot, I think. I had a feeling that would be your answer to that <laughs> question. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, when when this story first broke and it was being discussed in our Slack and uh, Jeff was getting ready to start writing about it, my, my very first reaction was that something really shady was going on, that someone had some sort of DraftKings backend codes, that it was an inside job of some sort. Uh, but But that suspicion didn't last long. What I now believe is that a small group of tech wizards found ways to get themselves thousands of spots in each line because as Jeff discovered by joining lines on his laptop, his phone, his iPad, et cetera, there's nothing stopping a single account from entering on multiple devices. So people figured out a way to take that from a simple manual multi-entry like Jeff did to something exponentially bigger. Um, I don't think anything overly nefarious was happening here. It's just hackers gaming the system, essentially. Um, I find it all quite fascinating, the, uh, especially the the game of when to sell if you do get one of these, um, because uh, Jeff's first article where he actually got a couple of NFTs that weren't as valuable as the ones in the Friday drop, um, the article he wrote previous to all that last week was really entertaining with him almost panic selling at the wrong time on everything (laughs) he got. Um, But he still made money, of course, just not as much as he could have. But, uh, you know, he'll get another chance when FanDuel starts dropping its NFTs since everything DraftKings does, FanDuel does, and everything FanDuel does, DraftKings does. So uh, that would seem an inevitability that the FanDuel NFTs are coming to. Well, there's a certain irony here, if we think about it, to DraftKings and FanDuel. The problem that Daily Fantasy Sports ultimately has run across is that um, their system was gamed from day one, practically six or seven years ago. So you had all these experts with their algorithms and uh, and teams of experts and, you know, the old... Uh, adage was, you know, 1% of the players are making 92% of the money or whatever. And it wasn't far off from that. And uh, each of them have been able to mitigate that somewhat uh, for various efforts. But uh, the bottom line is that these things can be gamed into where you as an amateur, uh, in this case, I guess, an investor, rather than using entry fees, whatever it may be, um, you're swimming in a pool of uh, some sharks with some mighty big teeth so hey if you can uh, make money on it good luck but uh just know that just know who's in the pool when you jump in yeah so as a dfs player myself and one who is definitely an amateur but is also slightly ahead financially uh, across all of the uh, dfs games that i've played i guess i would say that i think that is a little overstated uh the the thought that uh amateurs can't win and that the system is gamed but i i get what you're saying and there is some truth to it that especially in certain i won't play uh dfs baseball it is just too much 
math and uh, and needing to have an algorithm to figure out who's the highest percentage of you know this sort of player against this sort of pitcher and so forth. There's a lot of work that goes into succeeding in a sport like that. So I would rebut uh, to a certain extent uh, your your position on that, and not just your position. A lot of people have that position that the that the game can't be won by uh, by amateur players. Um, I wouldn't go quite that far, but I certainly uh, get what you're saying, and and I think you're absolutely right to point out sort of the the irony of, of all this. That multi entry in one form or another <laughs> keeps coming back to somewhat bite these DFS sites. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to a number of professional poker players and and talked to them about online poker. And why would I want to enter an online poker game when you, the professional, might be lurking? And in that case, it's pretty simple. They play 10 or 12 games at a time. But if you're in a very low uh, level uh, game, they're not going to waste their time in there. So, you know, if you try and play for good money, yeah, you may run into a pro. But if you're playing for small stakes, not a big deal. Problem with that is that, so online poker, there's, a limited amount of games they can play at once but uh with dfs it's kind of unlimited and this seems kind of unlimited so uh like i said the the uh the big boys have mitigated the issues uh for amateurs to some extent but you know where there's money to be made experts going to be in and you have to recognize that so uh this goes back to so my pushback on you is the guaranteed money thing <laughs> based on my background admittedly but that's the thing so you know I guess we probably can unite in saying uh, tread carefully in this uh, field. Yeah, sure. That, that That's fair. And I, I, I have to think about what a good line to set is on whether John Brennan will uh, at some point fully understand what NFTs are all about. I, I'd say I'd say I'd say you're a, a, a favorite to get a decent grasp on it, but an underdog to ever fully be able to explain what an NFT is. Yeah. And you know, my dad lived about 15 years after uh, sort of the online world uh, came about. And uh, at one point he had said to me, if I'd known I would live this long, I might have actually ever learned to go on a computer. But he just figured <laughs> why at a certain age, why bother? You're never going to get there. So um, I'm starting to think that that's, way a little bit. That's you with NFTs. Yeah, bother? pretty much. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, for our second story, let's talk COVID and specifically how it's now impacting brick and mortar casinos. On Monday, Harris New Orleans became the first U.S. casino to require proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test to enter the property, not because the casino management made the decision, but because the city of New Orleans required it. The next day, Resorts World New York City began operating with a vaccine mandate. Meanwhile, the two Philadelphia casinos have a mask requirement again in keeping with city ordinances, while other Pennsylvania casinos outside the Philadelphia city limits don't require masks. And all of these changes as the Delta variant spreads are pointing toward a very complicated World Series of Poker in Las Vegas scheduled to start September 30th. The WSOP released a rule last week that they could disqualify a player for having a positive COVID test or being a close contact, but then clarified a few days later that if you're a close contact, but you're vaccinated, and don't have any symptoms, you won't necessarily be DQ'd. Reactions were, as you'd expect, all over the spectrum. Uh, John, do you see a path to a successful 2021 WSOP without a vaccine requirement? How effective can any vaccine requirement at any casino be if the only proof of vaccination is a piece of paper? And 
while the vaccine requirements are mostly being put in place as a safety measure, do you also expect that businesses requiring vaccination to enter will dramatically increase the vaccination rates, which had pretty much plateaued before the Delta surge? Yeah, this is really, really complicated, isn't yep. it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, part of me says that, hey, gamblers like to gamble, so let them go, right? And then I think of casino workers who can't afford to just quit, and they got to be put in that environment. But amid all the legitimate concern and, and so many positive tests among vaccinated people these days, and, and there, of course, there are so many unvaccinated people still, mm-hmm. but very few of those vaccinated positive cases are serious, but... I still don't know. I mean, for the WSOP, I think the very nature of the competition probably leans toward a vaccination requirement. That doesn't have to be taken as a political stance. And I think there are reasonable people who think that uh, many of the outdoor event crackdowns are not very scientific, frankly. But poker is what it is and the nature of the game. And mm-hmm. if a pro doesn't want to be vaccinated, either for the sanest or the most insane reasons, either one, let's move on and we'll see you next year, I think. Yeah. You know, now the major city vaccination requirements to do to do damn near anything these days, especially in New York City and, and other cities, uh, you know, that could be taken by a purely methodical analyst who has studied the rate of vaccination across the spectrum among various groups. Uh, what would we think of that? I, that's a rabbit hole that I'm scampering past as, as well as I can <laughs> with these arthritic legs these days. <laughs> Yeah, well, so vaccination rates have been going up the last few weeks uh, due to some combination of employers requiring or incentivizing vaccination and people becoming aware that Delta is here and it's not slowing down and maybe they ought to get a free shot in the arm that helps protect them, uh, even if there might be some debate over how safe is it, uh, how much does it protect you. I think anyone who... uh, uh, sorry if I'm if I'm getting political here, uh, so be it. But you know, anyone who is paying attention to any sort of reputable news source knows that you are safer in general, percentage-wise, with a vaccine than not. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, if it starts getting more difficult to get into a restaurant, a casino, a concert, etc., if you don't have a vaccination card. I'm not sure how big a, a game changer that would be in terms of vaccination rates, but it helps a little. Might get another 1% or 2% of Americans over the hump. The problem is that card. It's so easy to fake one if you really want to. I think it's time for some sort of digital proof. Um, not to mention, I'm sure some people got vaccinated and lost the card. And so what are they supposed to do? Um, but like, I know my healthcare provider has a record of it online. There should be some way of transferring that into a digital passport that gets scanned, which I realize, you know, this is all very big brother stuff. They know where you are. You're having your passport scanned. The government is tracking you, Um, but they already can track you with your phone. Uh, As long as you're not a criminal, you shouldn't be worried about the authorities being able to see where you were and when. It's only a problem if you went and murdered somebody and now now your phone uh, knowing where you were is uh, implicating you. Anyway, um, the WSOP. I'm sorry, but unless COVID goes into serious retreat over the next few weeks, and I have to say it might, this thing keeps changing quickly. Um, So, you know, six weeks from now, it could look a lot different. But if it's anything like it is currently six weeks from now, they will not be able to get through a single tournament if unvaccinated people are playing. There are going to be outbreaks, disqualifications, lawsuits. I mean, imagine getting to the final table with a big chip stack. And then because the guy who is sitting next to you tests positive, you're out, 
and so are three other unvaccinated players at the table. And now it's just four vaccinated people that are left to play it out for the bracelet. That That's untenable, a situation like that. Even if everyone is vaccinated, there is a likelihood of some COVID spread, but at least the WSOP has a fighting chance at making it through the series if they're only letting vaccinated people play. I don't know. I mean, look, this WSOP is going to stink. <laughs> you know, at best, it's smaller fields, people wearing masks. It's not going to be fun. Um, but I'm, I'm in line with, with what you were saying about this part of it. I just don't think they're going to have any choice uh, if they want to get through this. But to say that if you choose not to get vaccinated, we choose not to let you buy in. See you next year. Um, you can play the online events if, if you don't want to get the vaccine. Um and of course, like what we're seeing in New Orleans and New York, the local government could force the Rio's hand and say, nobody enters a casino without proof of vaccination. I would imagine the mayor of Las Vegas and the governor of Nevada would be reluctant to take that step, but it could happen. And I think that would kind of be the best thing that could happen to the World Series organizers if they can turn away unvaccinated poker players without it being their decision. Yeah, I mean, um making a wild speculation here, but I got to think that poker pros, these are people who make a living at something that used to be considered immoral. Uh, I imagine there's a little bit of a libertarian bent to them. They don't mm -hmm. really go along with what the, you know, society tells them to do. So I think the vaccination rate might not be as high as it could be. Um, so that's a problem. But I, I think if you can focus it the way I mentioned, like this is not political. This if if poker was played in a different sort of environment, obviously outdoors, but the biggest one, you mm -hmm. know, more socially distanced naturally, like whatever sport, you know, golf is a weird one where right. I mean, you never have to stand within 10 feet of your playing partners for four hours walking five miles. So, you know, do you really have to mask up? No, you don't. Poker is so intimate. And part of the skill of the game is being that close together with somebody for so long. And part of it is to be playing marathon 10, 12 hour sessions a day in close proximity. So it's not about politics to say, oh, well, you've got to mask up. It's about uh, or and and of course, more importantly, be vaccinated. It's just about this is the way the game is. So I think if they can get the point across that it's not a political thing. It's just that this is the way the game is played because of that. We need to take you know, more extensive efforts than, you know, another competition would, then I think maybe we can get through this without people going nuts. Well, that all sounds quite logical. And unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> uh, logical doesn't always get it done. I think you're, I think you're sort of right about your uh, sort of categorizing of, of poker players. A lot of them are I don't work a nine to five. I don't punch a clock. Nobody tells me what to do. Yeah. But at this on the reverse side, a lot of them are very analytical. Um, and so so I think you. I would guess that the poker pro population is breaking down under similar percentages as the overall population yeah. in terms of who wants to get vaccinated and who doesn't. But that obviously still leaves a pretty high number that are that are not getting vaccinated. All right. Um, before we get into our third and final story. A couple of quick news items worth mentioning. Uh, the New York Gaming Commission approved the mobile sports betting regulations on Monday. No surprise there, but it is a significant procedural step. And we have more legal action in Florida as two paramutuals are seeking an injunction against the seminal sports betting launch, not just mobile, but brick and mortar as well. So those are the updates out of New York and Florida. Our third story this week comes out of another one of the big four states, California. 
There is yet another possible pathway to legal sports betting on the table as a group of four California cities has filed a ballot initiative to allow retail and mobile betting, meaning that there now might be two initiatives for sports betting on the November 2022 ballot. The four cities are Colma, Gardena, Inglewood, and San Jose, uh, all of which have card rooms. The other initiative headed for the ballot is for retail betting only. If this one gathers enough signatures and lands on the ballot, it would propose a 25% tax rate and a $5 million application fee. It is unclear at this time, according to Sports Handle's Jill Dorson, whether voters will be able to vote on both initiatives or will have to choose one. Either way, it's going to add confusion to a complicated issue. John, what do you make of this initiative? And while November 2022 is still 15 months away, do you believe California is making progress toward actually having legal sports betting soon? I was talking to our colleague, Matt Rivaltowski at the Saratoga Springs conference we attended earlier this week, and the possibilities are mind-blowing. You know, at first, my view from 3,000 miles away was that it feels as if there's some sort of large contingency of Californians who will sign a petition for anything at all, which is why they get so many ballot questions every year. Uh, Second, I initially was thinking that the typical disinterested voter, he shows up at the booth, although I think now there's a lot of absentee balloting there, but whatever, they take a, a look at the ballot. And in either case, I figure if they see one ballot question that allows for the tribes only to offer sports betting, and another one that lets everybody in California wet their beaks, the latter one seems to be more popular, I mm. thought. And then, but if the tribes question comes first in the ballot, we don't know yet, uh, especially then, uh, we can picture voters going along with both. So, you know, yeah, the tribe should get that. Okay. Oh, wait, what's this one? The 18th ballot question on the stupid <laughs> ballot. Um, oh, everybody. Yeah. You know what? Uh, let's go with that too. Uh, everybody should have it. So what if one version gets 58% and the other one gets 55%? So they're both approved. So the tribes have an exclusivity now, but also everybody <laughs> gets in the game. Is there a penalty kick shootout involving millions of voters? Uh, that would be interesting. I'd watch that probably, unlike the Olympics. Um, but, or do we quarantine such folks? voters until they agree to choose only one they can't leave until they uh they have a you know 1.2 million to 1.1 million vote or whatever uh you know as messy as it is it strikes me that at least one of these gets a majority vote so yes virginia there is a good chance that california has legal sports betting in 2023 or maybe 2024 uh depending on uh, legal battles uh but resistance as we see across the country on all these measures ultimately is futile all right. That's good. That's good analysis. And uh, I hadn't thought about uh, sort of the way that the multiple questions could break down. And yeah, we uh, were grimacing as we thought about it, like, oh, my God, what is this? what's going to and there's no legal clarity on that. Like what happens right. if if what happens if contradictory ballot initiatives both pass? Right. I mean, look, if any state's ever had it, it's California. So that's good news. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it's just like whichever one gets the higher percentage is the only one that counts or like Jill said that you might get to vote on one, but you can't vote on both. And I, I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> there's a lot to be figured out here. Um, and, you know, I was pretty long winded on the last subject about COVID and vaccination. So I, I will be shorter winded on this one. <laughs> um, and first, I'll just say everyone go ahead and read Jill's article on Sports Handle. She covered about, covered it about as thoroughly as it can be covered. Maybe the most interesting additional detail to point out is that this particular new initiative includes a provision for these card rooms to offer table games like blackjack or baccarat. That's not going to go over well with the tribal gaming folks as the tribal casinos have a monopoly on those games in California. And we see again, as we did with Florida, 
sports betting is getting the headlines, but it's the casino games that might be the real motivation here. That's where the big money for the house is. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And everybody seems to be comfortable with the idea of let's like make the sports betting the headline and we'll sneak in what we can in the back end. <laughs> yep. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. The slow sports summer, a stretch so slow we had to pretend to care about the Olympics, is just about over and football season is almost here. And while the NFL's kickoff is still three weeks away, college football is right around the corner with some teams playing their first games as soon as August 28th. Joining us now to preview the 2021 college football season is a top NCAA daily fantasy player who runs the specialist sports at Roto Grinders and oversees the team that puts out projections for such sports as soccer, hockey, tennis, and of course, college football. He is known in the industry by the handle PSU Fans 2, which I suspect means he went to the same college as my wife. Uh, Sean Newsham, welcome to Gamble On. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. And uh, those of you who are just hearing the audio uh, can't uh, see, but uh, Sean is sporting the Penn State t-shirt uh, proudly. So uh, indeed confirming that uh, he is the, the Penn State grad, uh, presumably that his uh, handle suggests. And that is accurate. I have had people ask me in the past if I am a Portland State alum, but unfortunately oh. <laughs> I am not and I am from Penn State. Okay. Um, so let's come right out of the gate firing, talking about the national championship. Uh, the odds suggest there are five teams with a shot at winning it and everybody else is 30 to one or higher and has no realistic chance. The current best odds on the five teams that do have a chance are plus 275 on Alabama, four to one on Clemson, six to one on Ohio State and eight to one on both Georgia and Oklahoma. Of those five teams, which do you see as the best value? And is there somebody outside the top five at 30 to one, 40 to one, 80 to one? Is there one team you believe actually has a chance? When I look at these teams, like you look at Alabama and Alabama lost so much top end talent, especially in skill positions on offense. Um, similarly, like Clemson lost Eddie N and last Trevor Lawrence. So you're losing generational talent at quarterback and generational talent at running back. Uh, and then Ohio State loses Justin Fields. So when you look at these top teams, last year when Alabama was coming back into the season, when they were obviously a heavy favorite to win going into last season, they were returning a decent amount of what they lost the year before. And the guys they lost in Henry Ruggs was easily replaced with Jalen Waddell. Um, and John Mechie filled that role as well. Similarly, with uh, Jerry Judy going, you just also had another guy stepping up. So they weren't really losing guys that weren't replaceable. Granted, those guys were elite talents, but they also had elite talents ready. This year, there's more unknowns surrounding uh, Alabama. So uh, for me, them being the odds-on favorite, I, I can't disagree because, uh, as we all know, they carry a great amount of talent on their team. But I think they probably will have a little bit more road bumps, and this is probably the least likely they are to win in the last couple years. Um, and then looking at Clemson, I, I think that they're going to struggle as well, losing the guys that they're losing. Now, again, great talent coming in, but they have to replace quite a bit. So I like to look a little bit further at the Georgia and Oklahoma teams. Um, Oklahoma returns Rattler, returns quite a bit of their offense, and they weren't reliant per se on one guy uh, to drive their offense. So like when you're returning your quarterback and you're returning most of 
what you threw out there. It's pretty important. Also, giving to the playoff is important. And the uh, Big 12 is not nearly as as great of a conference as what you'll look at with the SEC. So I like the two guys that are a little bit lower down the list because I don't think there's an odds-on favorite this year. Hmm. And then from a standpoint of guys that are a little bit off the radar that maybe no one's really considering, uh, I'm thinking of a team like Iowa State or North Carolina, possibly. Uh, Iowa State returns everybody. They're returning Brock Purdy. They're returning Brees Hall. They're returning their entire receiving core that was very strong last year for the second half of the season and most of the season. They just came out of the gates a little bit uh, weak. Also with Iowa State is they generally play a style that gives teams like Oklahoma difficulty because they just wrap, pound the rock and they run the ball that some of these teams might not be able to handle because they eat a lot of clock that those teams are used to having themselves. So I think that's a team that makes quite a bit of sense. And then North Carolina, uh, Sam Howell's quoted as wanting to take down Clemson and really uh, sort of change things and how things work in that conference. So I think those two teams might be a little bit more outside the box than people are looking at the top end. And they could give those teams a run for their money. And, And a key with them is, they're not in the SEC per se or the Big Ten. So maybe the level of skill to get to the playoff is a bit less, which is something that's important because you can't win the national title if you're not in the playoff. Right. And so I'm taking just a quick glance seeing Iowa State is generally in the 30 to 1 range and North Carolina is generally in, in the 40 to 1 range. One other thing that I'm just curious about is I saw one of the sports books had a boost on Alabama to from plus 275 up to plus 400. If you were getting that price on Alabama, and there's usually like a, a limit on how much you can bet when they boost it there. But does that become maybe the best value on the board if you're actually getting four to one on them? I'm still not sure. I I think Bama might struggle a bit this year. I think they might have some issues throughout the team. And like looking at the running back department, there's no one that replaces Najee. Uh, Looking at the receiving department, like these guys can come in and be pretty decent, but I think there's going to be pretty big drop off in all areas for them this year. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, I got to say, uh, speaking of drop-offs, uh, I've always been a contrarian, and I've been reading a lot of previews this month about these real bottom feeder, uh, you know, Division One teams. And uh, what's interesting to me in the prediction of the over-under wins is that, you know, often they have either one, two, or three obvious no-brainer little sisters of the poor opponents. And so it tends to be that they really only need to win maybe one conference game or two at the most. And so um, you get off to a flying start with this, with this uh, over-under if you go over. And then you just need that one weekend or maybe two weekends. And so I'm wondering generally if this is actually a, a good place to a good a pond to fish in. And um, also if you have any specifics that you've noticed where a team, you know, it's over under four and a half or something, you think, oh, they, they'll go 500. I can't believe it. So, yeah, so I'm looking for the general and the specific possibly on this uh, idea of how to bet uh, college football over and unders. Yeah. So when it looks, when it comes to looking at totals with college football teams, a lot of it comes to that fact. The issue is, is that some of these bottom feeder teams are not better than some of the better teams outside of the conference. Uh, like you'll look at like a team like Kansas, Kansas will win one or two games a year, if that. So when they're playing these teams out of conference, it's still not a cakewalk win. I think where it really benefits you is looking at maybe a little bit better teams. Like you look at teams like Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan, maybe guys that are not expected to win 12, 13 games, but they're expected to win eight and they're over under totals at like seven and a half. So I like to look at the big conferences, the SEC um, and maybe like the big 10 type teams that you know, they are quality football teams and yet their win totals are in like the five to six range, maybe even the seven range. And then, like you said, you see them 
have four cupcakes on the schedule that they're very likely to devour. Uh, and then you sit there and you're like, well, man, they have nine games, six of which are going to be coin flip games. And then three others where they're maybe like a 75% underdog. And you're like, I think I can get uh, three to four of those wins uh, in those games. So I definitely think that there's some validity into looking at things like that. All right. Uh, so I'm going to ask the most unfun question possible, the the topic nobody really wants to talk about. But uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, you know, we were all thinking we were in position to have a quote unquote normal college football season. The Delta variant situation, particularly in some major college football states, uh, has us rethinking that. Uh, you went through last year having to be nimble with betting and DFS, reacting to news and to players and entire games being scratched. I'm curious, Shauna, are there things you learned in 2020, perhaps one or two keys to success in sports gambling during COVID that you'll be ready to apply if necessary in 2021? Definitely. Some of the more humorous parts of last year was, I remember we were sitting here on like a Tuesday night and I'm sitting there talking to a college student that goes to Eastern Michigan that does like the reporting for the Mac. And he's sitting there trying to get information about who's in and out of the lineup for Eastern Michigan that night. So uh, one thing that I would say that is a tip to everybody is follow Twitter and follow teams and key pieces, especially when it comes to COVID situations. There generally will be an indication that a so-and-so team is going to be without key players due to COVID. If you find that information immediately and can act on that rapidly, you're very likely to get a situation where the total is going to change significantly. So I, it's something that I definitely would look at when looking for things is, for example, if you see something and you hear a rumor that Texas is going to have 15 players missing the game due to COVID, you just bet the other side right away on that you know the line's going to move significantly the other way. And then not even to mention, if those players end up being key starters that are, let's say, on the offensive line, quarterback, uh, you're looking at a situation that can be really profitable over the course of the season. So the best advice that I can give for people is to look for uh, news that would signify that someone is out for the game or that there's a COVID situation within a team that could really change the, the line on the game going forward. Okay. And I guess as it pertains to, to DFS, for those that play that, um, it's more than usual a case of really being ready to make changes just prior to lock. And uh, I guess not having so many lineups that you can't make massive uh, overhauls if necessary, if a whole game is getting scratched off the board. Yeah. From a DFS perspective, the whole idea is to like, you need to be very familiar with the player pool and the pricing of players so that if something happens, you know how to transition quickly because there's so many times where you might not get information until five minutes before the game and you need to know what your options are to move to. Uh, now, granted, obviously, the more time you have, the more love and tender and care you can put into it. But if you have five minutes, you just need to make something happen immediately so that you have lineups that are live. So right. uh, the more up to date you are and the more that you follow along, the better you're going to do in the long run, because you're going to be able to react to advice and react to news that requires you to react to it. Uh, you know, I guess people might wonder uh, uh, before the age of Twitter and before the age of the Internet, even let's say back all the way to the 1980s, if one can imagine back that far. You know, what did you do to try to get that edge to find out that information to go to your corner bookie? And in retrospect, what you did is you called some dumb, yet naive young intern and just beyond intern on the night sports desk 
got a newspaper uh, who shall remain nameless. And uh, you just say, <laughs> hey, I'm a Penn State alumnus. Uh, you know, almost, uh, I'm worried about my quarterback, anything on the wire about whether he's going to play. And first I'd say, oh, I'd love to help you out and uh, find the information for him. So, yeah, I'm just just just, just dawning on me now that uh, maybe they weren't all alums of Alabama or Auburn or whatever. They certainly didn't have an accent. But, uh, you know, that, it's the, I guess the idea is you got to be creative for your times. And you've seen that. So I want to move on to the, to the Big Ten, which is the near and dear to you. And also you mentioned uh, Wisconsin. I'm wondering about a value bet on a league like that where one division is so much better than the other other and sometimes the sec often is actually often is like this where well wisconsin always seems to feel a very competitive team a good team weak division uh if i just assume they're going to win a division then the plus 900 and them to win the conference i almost feel like i'm getting nine to one odds that they beat ohio state and they're probably not going to beat ohio state but that's a pretty good line i mean obviously they're not a guarantee to get into the game but i feel like i'm the plus 900 i'm I'm getting a premium on the the fact that they're not guaranteed to get there, but they got a pretty good shot at getting there, don't they? Yeah, hundred percent odd. That's one of the favorite bets that I have every season. Actually, is betting whoever I think is going to win the opposite division in the Big Ten to win the Big Ten. Uh, and exactly like you said, the best teams in the Big Ten typically are Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan which is the three teams, they all happen to be on the same side of the conference, which therefore means only one of them can play in the, in the title game for that conference. What you can do is you can look at the other side of the conference, one, to figure out who you think is the best team. Also, though, that team might not face any of those big three teams. If they don't face any of those big three teams, whereas let's say the next biggest competition to them is playing all of those teams, it can provide additional value. So last year, for example, I believe Minnesota – I thought going into the season, Minnesota and Wisconsin were pretty similar in what I expected uh, the teams to be. But I believe Minnesota did not play any of the big three teams or they only played Michigan and Minnesota played two of the three. So it was a situation where I thought that any or the Minnesota played the weakest of the teams and only played one and Wisconsin played two of them. And I think it was maybe the two best or the second and third or first and third. So uh, it's definitely something to do. And I agree 100% that Wisconsin at plus 900, if you think they're going to get to the title game, which I do think, all they have to do is win one game. You're not going to have 900 plus 900 uh, or nine to one odds going into the Big Ten title game if they're playing Ohio State. So I like to say, do not ever set up edges to hedge. Uh, don't ever go in with the idea you're going to hedge. But if you do a bet like this and you end up in the Big Ten title game and you see it at two to one, it's an easy situation for you to hedge if you would like to choose that option. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a great thing to do. And I think that that is a very good bet to look at on the board. Well, John loves a good hedge. You are you're singing his song with that one. <laughs> the Hedgemeister General, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, this has been great. Uh, really, we really appreciate you uh, taking the time, uh, Sean. I'll let all our uh, listeners know uh, you can find Sean on Twitter at PSU fans too. Uh, thanks again for, for coming on the podcast. Yep, definitely. And if you guys want to find me on Twitter, as you said, PSU fans too. And then at Roto Grinders, we have daily fantasy projections. Uh, we have five of the top 25 players in the industry, including, in my opinion, the two best running the projections day in day out for the college football season and then uh our scores and odds uh site attached to roto grinders also has people like us providing bets on a week-to-week -week basis uh, with college football along with all other sports so if you're looking to either play daily fantasy or bet 
on college sports or other sports, it's a great location to go. All right. Uh, just one question. Like, do the dogs have a Twitter account also? I'd like to get that. If I could. <laughs> they do not. Although I've told my wife, my wife really enjoys TikTok and Instagram. I don't oh, use either of them. I try to tell her, I'm like, that's, that's a way to get famous is using the dogs. Cause they're Absolutely. way more cute than, than I am. So, uh, <laughs> but she has de- declined to do that up until this point. All right. Well, what they made clear in the last uh, few seconds there that they definitely endorse all of the uh, avenues that you were just uh, speaking about for people to, to check out your work and uh, stay on top of the college football season. So it's good. It's good to have the dogs on board with all that. Definitely. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, thanks Sean. Sean. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We have a nice, quick bankroll recap this week. Just three results, all very straightforward. Your Cardinals money line bet, John, against the stumbling, bumbling Pirates was a sweat, but they won 7-6, so we profited $38 on that. Your golf bet on Schwartzel offered no sweat at all. He didn't make the cut, a loss of $80 there. And then I remained hot on my boxing bets as Casimero Rigandiao went the 12 round distance, winning us $110. That means we won $68 on the week. We're now down by $962. We have $1,387 on hold in futures bets. So that leaves $7,651 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John. Well, the PGA Tour's FedEx Cup playoffs launched this week, and traditional hold as most of my family and friends who like golf will yawn and ask me to wake them up when the Ryder Cup U.S. versus Europe <laughs> kicks off next month. But uh, we will soldier on, bloodied, but well, okay, we're bloodied and bowed actually uh, <laughs> on these bets. Um, I'm a little bedeviled again by limiting myself to afternoon and Eastern time groups, but I see, see some value here. Uh, the first is Australian uh, Adam Scott at 50 units for plus 160 for top 20. You know, Scott missed a five foot to win on the first playoff hole last weekend. And if he had made it, the price would be much different. So uh, let's forget that pot. He's a veteran and uh, he'll uh, shake it off. It was a player cough, Fino cough that, you know, then it would be uh, an issue. But uh, <laughs> Scott seems to be peaking at the right time and he's better rested than some of these rivals. And the other golf pick is uh, South African Brandon Grace, 50 units, uh, top 20 also at a stunning plus 300. I mean, much tougher field this week, but Grace also is trending up. He made a 29-footer on the 72nd hole last weekend to get into that same playoff, which he also lost. But um, Grace can swim in these deeper waters. All right. So if one of those two hits, we have a nice little profit for the week on those golf bets. And if both of them hit, uh, we're uh, swimming in big money. (laughs) Um, So uh, we haven't done an NFL preseason bet yet, uh, with good reason. It's preseason. It can be pretty unpredictable. Um, But I saw a stat that in terms of points totals, the under was hitting something like 80% of the time, even though these totals are set a good 10 points or so lower than typical regular season game. Um, I'm sorry that I can't be more scientific about the exact numbers because I saw the stat and then I couldn't find it when I was scrambling to get my podcast prep done this morning. So I just know it's somewhere around uh, 80% on the under and games have been overwhelmingly low scoring and, and, and going under throughout the preseason so far. So Let's give me half a reason to watch my Eagles in action on Thursday. They take on the Patriots. The total is 38 and a half. We're likely to see a fair amount of Joe Flacco for the Eagles and of rookie Mac Jones for the Pats. It could be close in terms of that 38 and a half. I don't think the game is going to finish like 10 to seven or anything in that low of a range, but 
17, 14, 21, 10, something like that seems about right. So let's test the preseason under trend and go under 38 and a half points here, $110 to win a hundred. Yeah, that's sort of an existential question, really. Like, do underbetters watch the games? I mean, uh, <laughs> you, you're. I mean, I, I used to say, you know, when I was a much younger person, uh, you know, punters are your friends. You want to learn the first names of them and see them early and often. But uh, you're rooting for, you know, nothing. I, I don't know. It's hard to do. I mean, it's a smart <laughs> play for professionals, but uh, it's tough for an amateur to watch a so, game. So, for- so what? So what you're saying is that thinking that I was giving myself half a reason to watch, I've actually given myself more reason not to watch. Maybe. I think so, but you'll uh, you'll let us know next week. Okay. So I've got a baseball game, which I'm not terrible at lately. Um, got the Cincinnati Reds tonight with Luis Castillo uh, against the Marlins. I'm going 50 at minus 105 to win by one, more than one and a half runs. Um, the, the key to that is that the Reds bullpen after four months of disaster has finally completely straightened out. So I trust them. Castillo's inconsistent. He's better at home. The Marlins don't hit on the road. They don't hit that righties that well anyway. So I'm pretty confident here. And uh, you can get burned on the minus one and a half with, with a bad bullpen, but the reds, you know, below the radar to most people, I'm sure actually finally found one. Yeah. I like that bet. Having gotten a look at the reds uh, last weekend with the Phillies playing them they're they're a pretty good team. That's, that's really getting their stuff together. So uh, yeah, I like that one. Um, for my second bet, uh, boxing's been good to us uh, and we have a golden opportunity this week. Uh, you'll recall, I loved Errol Spence against Manny Pacquiao, but the bet ended up voided because of a Spence injury. So now I go from laying money against Pacquiao on the favorite to taking a shot at beating Pacquiao with an underdog. His new opponent is Cuba's Jordanis Ugas, a very good fighter. Uh, Ugas lost a could have gone either way decision a couple of years ago to Sean Porter, who lost by a point or two to Keith Thurman, who lost by a point or two to Pacquiao two years ago. My point being, if Pacquiao is better than Ugas still at age 42, it ain't by much. This is a competitive matchup. I think fair odds on Ugas would be about plus 200 or maybe plus 225. But Pacquiao is the public team. He's the Dallas Cowboys of boxing. Fans love to bet on him. So he's more than a minus 400 favorite in this fight. And I'm seeing Ugas as high as plus 300 at both FanDuel and Foxbet. That's very good value. I also see that Foxbet has Ugas by decision specifically all the way up at plus 500. And he is certainly more likely to win by decision than to knock Pacquiao out. So uh, I make these bets knowing full well that Ugas is not quite likely to win. He is the underdog. Uh, and also that if it's a close fight, the judges might not be friendly to him. Pacquiao's the moneymaker, um, but the price is just too good to pass up. So let's go $40 at plus 300. So that would be to win 120 on Ugas to win the fight. And then let's do another $20 at plus 500 to win 100 bucks on Ugas specifically by decision. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Sean Dusham. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Brigham Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, birthday boy, John, please take us out. Well, here I am spending my 60th birthday doing a podcast. Uh, did not have this on my bucket list a mere 10 years ago. 
don't know if podcasts have been invented at that point anyway. So in the spirit of those schmaltzy local TV interviews with the resident who turns 100 and seems to have amazingly little to say other than, you know, have a shot of whiskey every night before bed, uh, <laughs> I'll try to do better <laughs> at 60. Uh, because it's almost as likely these days for a longtime newspaper journalist to still be gainfully employed at my age in 2021 as somebody reaching 100 years old. So how did I get here? Um, some of this, I, I hope most specifically, will help and, and will resonate with our younger subscribers. Uh, we may have more in common than you think. So let's start with 40 years ago. I'm a fourth semester sophomore at Fairleigh Dickens University in New Jersey, not known as the cradle of future journalism rock stars, Eric. Uh, now, there was a college newspaper meeting once a week, and for a couple of months, I got this close to the newspaper office in the hallway even before I panicked. And well, after a few minutes, I guess I'll have to do it next week instead, and next week and next week. Uh, this is Schrodinger's cat, really. My potential journalism career is in a box. We don't know if it's alive or dead uh, unless we go to the meeting and find out. And it seemed to me the meeting was like jumping blindly off a cliff, and I was terrified. Eventually, I jumped, uh, and the meeting was nothing like I, I expected. Uh, my first writing attempt uh, off an endless bad college baseball doubleheader was awful. But I showed up. I got the copy written in time, and I spelled the words right. So a savvy student not so long from graduating at that point he just looked and showed me a copy of the New York Daily News of the day and asked me to read the leads of the Mets and Yankees game stories. You know, could I do that? Something like that, maybe. And it was like a light bulb and a firecracker went off simultaneously. Yeah, I could do that. I did do that. Um, now, I was going to talk much more on this about how a decade later, I stood up for myself insisting that rotating endlessly from the Knicks and Nets and Rangers and Devils, it had to end. So I got myself an eight-year stint on the Nets and or a decade after that, not accepting a stupid personnel decision by an inept boss and reinventing myself into the newsroom instead of the sports department. Or not quite a decade after that, in 2010, deciding that I, I really needed to start a blog and a Twitter feed. Uh, immediately at that point, even though most or all my newsroom colleagues told me it was foolish to put in extra effort for no extra pay. Hmm. Then in 2018, I was fortunate enough to have many potential destinations as legal gambling expansion uh, exploded, really, uh, spurred by my own fellow New Jersey residents, of course. Uh, so I would say I chose wisely in aligning with usbets.com, and now it's ever-growing series of partners. So what does any of this have to do with gambling? I would say that walking into that Thursday, 4 p.m. weekly meeting of the Gauntlet newspaper 40 years ago felt like the biggest gamble of my life. I'm still not sure how I pushed myself in, but this life would not have been the same if I hadn't done that. You know, I'll never risk any significant money on a sporting event, as we talked about previously, just not in my blood. But as I reflect on these 60 years, I guess the biggest lesson that I've learned is that it made plenty of sense to keep betting on myself. And guess what? So should you. And with that, until next time, gamble on.